electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. You're listening to The Exchange. Here's today's show. Thank you very much, Scott. Hi, everybody. I'm Kelly Evans. And a mega rally for the second straight session like Scott was just talking about. This time, the Nasdaq is leading the way. It's up almost as many points as the Dow right now. We're going to look at what's changed and which stocks could be the next great opportunities in the tech space. The semi names are flying today. The cloud stocks are helped by strong results from MongoDB. Meanwhile, media names are selling off and weighing on the S&P 500. We'll dig deeper into all of today's big movers. And strong guidance and record margins have shares of designer brand soaring today, what the parent of DSW says about the consumer and the holiday shopping season. We'll speak with the CEO ahead. But first, let's start with today's markets. And Dom Chu has the big number. I mean, solidly in the green. But Kelly, it kind of speaks to this notion of what's the bigger impact on the markets? Was it Fed concerns? Was it about interest rates? Was it about Omicron? What exactly was the bigger downside draft? Well, today you are seeing some of those worries ease no matter where they are. But the Nasdaq composite, that's the notable trade today. It is now doubling the performance on a daily basis of 3% over the Dow Industrials, which is up a very respectable 521 points or 1.5% there. The levels we're talking about, 35,748 for the Dow, 4690 for the S&P 500. That's up 2% as well. And then 15,707 for the NASDAQ composite. Now, you juxtapose that towards some of the reopening type plays that we've talked so much about, the epicenter of a lot of the volatility, both to the downside and to the upside, we'll take a look at some of these trades that have been geared more towards the economic reopening in a post-COVID world. Oil and gas stocks like Devon Energy doing pretty well, up 6.5%. Freeport McMoran, a copper proxy, industrial proxy, up nearly 5%. But more notably, the travel and leisure stocks, which have been the most volatile, arguably, in some of these COVID whipsaw trades, are underperforming the overall market today. Look at Delta Airlines, up about two-thirds of 1%. That's not bad, but it's still underperforming. Royal Caribbean's up 1% and 1% gains for Expedia as well. It's a dynamic to watch there. Maybe another kind of tech versus economically sensitive trade happening. And then, by the way, the stock of the day so far today is Apple. Not just the biggest one out there, again, by a wide margin, but... A record high. We'll put the gold star up there. And just remember that this has been either a safety trade or a growth trade. It didn't matter, even with the market volatility, Kelly. And of course, today's action of three and a half percent helped along in some small way by analysts over at Morgan Stanley, led by Katie Huberty, who've upped their price target, Kelly, to a street high two hundred dollars per share. They cited, among other things, optimism about their AR and VR type products in the future. I'll Interesting. Just did a podcast about that this morning. When it goes up, I'll let you all know. Dom, thank you, and okay. we'll see you in a moment. Yields are climbing along with stocks today, but they've since, what do we say, pulled back a bit. Rick Santelli can maybe break things down for us. He's out at the CME. What do you make of it all, Rick? You know, the short-dated uh, treasuries, like two-year and three-year, they haven't pulled back much. The longer-dated pulled back 
but now they're coming back up in yield. We'll have to make sure we take a close look at the three-year note auction, which just buttoned up. Look at a two-day of twos. You can see what Kelly's talking about there. You see, it's basically a 45-degree angle over the two sessions. At 68 basis points, it's up five, a handful. Now let's go to the longest maturity, 30-year bond. A different look. Yesterday, it was up kind of on a 45-degree angle. And even though today it's traded a higher yield than yesterday's, which means it's in kind of guns hot mode for higher rates, it's flattened out a bit. That flattening effect is back in force. You can see it on all permutations of the curve. Here's tens minus twos. Yesterday it's steepened. Today it's flattening because tens are up two and twos are up five. Now, if we look at what's going on with boons overseas, here's a two week chart. What a different look. You know, it responded to the Omicron variant. Rates went down a bit in the flight to safety. And then it's gone kind of flatline, whereas the, there is much more volatility in U.S. Treasuries, even though it doesn't seem to be commensurate with the volatility we're seeing in equities. And finally, what are Fed fund futures telling us? The easy look. Let's look at these of 2022. And remember, it's like a T-bill. 100 minus 75 would be 99.25. That's three quarter point hikes. Now, this is oversimplification, but you can clearly see we are now building in three quarter point hikes for 2022. Will it stay that way? Who knows? It's only as good is the snap of my fingers. Ellie, back to you. <laughs> Rick, just to clarify, how high did the 10 year get today? We're currently, I think you said, right around 143. Uh, 146 right now is the last yield, so that's up a couple. It's been as high as 148, but for the most part, yesterday's high uh, yield right around 1.44. That's what you want to pay closest attention to. All right, got it. Thank you, Rick. We appreciate it, as always. Rick Santelli in Chicago today. The Nasdaq soaring 3% or so. Uh, it's up almost 500 points, as you can see there, and it's now just 3% below its all-time high from early November. My next guest says this recent pullback has created good entry points in future tech leaders, especially in software and in China. Joining me now is Brooke Dane, Portfolio Manager at Goldman Sachs Asset Management and Co-Portfolio Manager of the Goldman Future Tech Leaders Equity ETF. Brooke, it's good to see you again. Uh, what do you think no, is the reason no. for this massive jump in the NASDAQ today? Yeah, Kelly, it's great to be back on. And I think Part of the move today is just a reflection of the fact that the drawdown was so quick and so severe, based really on some things that we think are transient and you know aren't actual reflections of what's going on in the fundamentals of the companies. You know, with the GTech portfolio, we often talk about balance in a whole bunch of different ways with our clients, and you know whether that's geographic balance between the U.S. and Europe, but also probably most importantly, balance between some of the high growth, you know, disruptive, innovative tech companies as well as balancing that with some of the companies that have much more kind of steady growth and, and margin opportunities. And you know, this drawdown has created an opportunity where we feel like investors need to be refocused back and, and kind of gaining some exposure to some of that higher growth bucket because the correction has been so severe. And, and that's yeah. the, the moves we've been making in GTEC lately, and we think investors should be doing the same. Well, I was going to ask if we still have opportunity. You know, that, that gap is closing pretty quickly, at least for the NASDAQ top level. But a couple of the names you like, App Lovin's up 44%, Snowflake's up 32%, but UiPath is still down 30% year to date. So in all three of those, you think today would still be a good entry point? Yeah. So, you know, when we think about things, I would just say broadly that, you know, as you think about what's driving software, um, data is really the oxygen of digital transformation. And all three of these companies are using data in really unique and interesting ways that are, you know, that are very attractive to end customers. So let's let's start with UiPath since you brought that one up. So you know, here's a company that's that's centered on robotic process automation, which is essentially 
using software uh, to automate standard business practices. Um, the stock's been under pressure this year from a couple of different reasons. The first is the competitive environment around them. There's been some noise from some of the bigger platform companies getting involved in this market. Secondly, just the this is actually a company that is still an on-premise software company, and, and most software investors have been very much focused on SaaS companies and, and cloud-based companies. And, and this one, because of the nature of what they do, is much more on-premise. So that's created some, frankly, some noise around the metrics and how investors should be looking at this company. When we step back and we do the fundamental analysis on this one, you know, we feel like this market opportunity is huge. We feel like um, we have a very good handle on the competitive dynamic, and UiPath is well ahead of uh, some of the big platform vendors and what they're doing. And then finally, on the metrics, you know, ARR is the metric that you should be looking at with this company. It's based on how companies are deploying the robots that they're using to, to affect this digital transformation. So we feel very positive about it. The final point I would make is that you know, if investors out there are at all concerned about inflation or, or supply chain tightness and things like that, what this software does at its core is it, it uh, automates standard business process. That frees up your employees to do more productive things, to do yeah. more thoughtful, you know, forward-leaning stuff. So we just think it's a great opportunity in that, in that company. Now, I will say they report Wednesday, and you know, this is not a call on that quarter. Uh, software quarters can be lumpy, and I, you know, we'll see what happens when they report sure. Wednesday. But if your horizon is longer than you know, a very short-term time horizon, we think it's a great opportunity there. Let's talk about China, which is a big oppor a buying opportunity that you see right now. Um, Obviously, just overnight, we see maybe an easing in liquidity that is helping global markets perform today. You're looking at this more from the fundamentals of a Chinese software company, a Chinese semiconductor component producer. Are you, I mean, are you concerned yeah. about the headwinds that could be coming as the U.S. and China fight over opportunities for listing here, among a ton of other issues, the diplomatic boycott of the Olympics? I mean, you name it. Yeah, sure. And I think we've talked about this in the past, but you know, one of the, the big risks out there from a tech perspective is the, the China-US tensions and, and what's happening from a global trade standpoint. So you know, I wouldn't want to minimize those at all, but that's why we've had investors in GTEC focused on companies that are much more uh, on the, the front side of the localization effort that we're seeing in China. So you know, there's, there's kind of four big things happening in China that make us very positive. One is the digital transformation stuff that we've seen in the US and in Europe. But in China specifically, there's so much more room to grow and so much more, um, you know, they're, they're just earlier in their digital transformation, as well as they're having labor shortages. So replacing, you know, you know, using technology to augment workforce is a huge benefit. So digital transformation, you know, is a, is a big area of effort. Second is the new anti-monopoly laws that they've passed. That actually benefits the smaller tech companies that we've been focused on in GTEC. You know, as you as you begin to limit some of the growth capabilities of some of the big mega mega cap vendors in China, that opens up some room for some others to grow. The third one is this localization thing that we just talked about a minute ago, where there's a, there's a strong heightened focus on making sure that China can be independent in its tech ecosystem and drive domestic innovation. So, you know, both uh, Kingdi, which is a software name that we like a lot, and Syllergy, which is a semiconductor company. They both benefit from that effort of trying to develop homegrown, uh, localized uh, products and, and businesses. So uh, we're very positive on the outlook there. And we would just say that in general, investors need to think you know, broadly about their global exposure. They need to look wider in tech and, and find opportunities around the globe. All right. King D and uh, Syllergy or Syllergy, the names, again, there that you're identifying. Brooke, thanks for coming to talk about several of these names. We appreciate it today. Awesome. Thanks for the time today. I really appreciate it. Brooke Dane from Goldman Sachs. Still ahead, state and local governments here in the U.S. are issuing hundreds of billions of dollars worth of debt this year, and they're not showing any signs of letting up. Is this the golden age for munis? And if so, how long can it last? 
Plus, chip and cloud names are surging today while the media stocks trail. We'll look at why and how to trade it. And as we head to break, here's a look at the Dow heat map with Amex once again among the biggest gainers and Intel leading the way. Mark the biggest laggard. We're back in a moment. People today can spend half their lives over 50. So it's good to be financially ready for what's important to you as you get older, like a family vacation. Or starting your dream business. Welcome to Connie's Coffee. How may I help you? AARP's trusted financial tools can help you plan for whatever your future holds. That's why the younger you are, the more you need AARP. Start planning today at aarp.org slash money tools. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration, our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. The golden age of public finance. Issuance of muni bonds is likely to hit nearly half a trillion dollars this year, and Hilltop Securities says 2022 could be an even bigger year with the market seeing new records. Is a golden age for borrowers also a golden age for investors, or are risks building in this space? For more, I'm joined by Tom Koslick, head of credit and municipal strategies at Hilltop Securities. Tom, welcome back. Thanks for having me, Kelly. So let's talk about all the issuance that we're seeing, which typically might mean, you know, they don't always all get the best price and yields are maybe a little bit high and that kind of thing. But explain what the dynamics are if we take a snapshot of today in the muni market. So where we are to start uh, December, I'd say that the municipal market hasn't been immune to the recent volatility. That being said, uh, the municipal market has responded in its own unique way, as it usually does, right? Uh, one of the things that we've seen over recent, uh, not just last week, but over recent weeks and even months, is that fund flows, while they were very strong, very, very strong for the, in the first half of the year, they started to tail off over at the end of the summer. Uh, they were a little lower uh, to begin November, and they fell to about $36 million last week. That being said, I think that there are probably some technical or market-specific reasons of why the number fell so low. I'm expecting that fund flow numbers are really are going to strengthen. They're, they're going to uh, be a little stronger, partially because I'm still seeing a very significant supply and demand imbalance. As you were just talking about, the amount of issuance really matters. And the fact that in, even take this, this week for an example, there's $18 billion of primary market issuance coming. Uh, and I still don't think that that's going to come close to uh, satisfying investor demand. So again, to start December, what we're seeing is a very strong amount of demand for municipals, even though the fund flow numbers haven't been as strong in the second half. Sure. So you think this year could do 460 billion of issuance next year, maybe 495, which would be a record. So in other words, even though we're seeing record supply in this space, you basically think there's record high demand. How long should that situation last? That's right. I think that uh, we're going to see 450, 460 billion this year. That was actually pretty close to our forecast for this year. Uh, next year, I think that we're going to see about 495 billion. Uh, one of the things that could have increased issuance uh, for next year and in coming years is are some of the fiscal policy 
ideas that had been floated around uh, around this year. But I'm expecting that going into next year, that 495 billion number, uh, the for- that forecast, I still don't think that that's going to meet the demand that's out there. I still think that in- unless issuance rises, that uh, that demand is going to outstrip supply. So let's say, you know, my financial advisor is walking through 2022 strategies and saying, okay, you need to be in some muni bonds. What are some things I want to be included? What are some things that I would not want to be included? You know, if you were advising kind of your friends and family, what would you say? Hey, just make sure you do the basic due diligence. Yeah, the fact of the matter is that we really like the recovery story. As you mentioned in the outset of this spot, the uh, I, I, we believe that there's a golden age of public finance right now, and that's really been uh, solidified with that six hundred and fifty billion dollar six hundred fifty billion that came from the Rescue Plan Act. That's gonna ha- that's gonna send three hundred and fifty billion to state and locals. It's sending one hundred and thirty billion to schools and the balance to other sectors like higher ed, healthcare, uh, and. As part of that recovery story, we think that municipals are more insulated than other sectors. And so we really like the airport sector. We really think that the recovery is going to continue there. And we especially like the larger airports. We like the major toll roads, uh, higher grade health care, and especially the higher higher education with a strong brand name recommendation. And also housing finance agencies. Uh, we really like that sector as well. Interesting. Tom, always with a bunch of actionable ideas for us. We appreciate it. It's good to have you on today. Thanks, Kelly. Tom Koslick with Hilltop Securities. Still ahead, the trends to watch for 2022. MSCI says here are key ESG themes investors need to prepare for. And not just all ESG investors, but anyone exposed to the supply chain will explain. Plus, shares of designer brands are on pace for their best day since January, jumping 17% after an earnings beat and strong guidance. The CEO will join us exclusively in just a moment. Stay with us. People today can spend half their lives over 50. So it's good to be financially ready for what's important to you as you get older, like a family vacation. Or starting your dream business. Welcome to Connie's Coffee. How may I help you? AARP's trusted financial tools can help you plan for whatever your future holds. That's why the younger you are, the more you need AARP. Start planning today at aarp.org slash money tools. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx. Welcome back to The Exchange, everybody. We're about 100 points off session highs for the Dow. Still up 505, really strong performance, but it pales in comparison with what's going on elsewhere. Dow's up 1.4%, S&P's up more than 2%, and the Nasdaq is absolutely ripping today with a more than 3% gain. We'll have more on that in just a moment. Let's look at the sectors, though, which have all 11 groups in the green, but technology is leading the way. Energy is actually having a nice session today, up 2.5%. Consumer discretionary up there as well. Utilities, consumer staples, those are lagging, although rates, like Rick was explaining, the 
and you're not super spiking today. Anyhow, here are some of the movers this hour. The oil and gas stocks are about to have their best day in three months, with Devon Energy, Continental, Diamondback, and Marathon all up more than 5%, so a really strong rebound here. The iShares Biotech ETF, the IBB, is also on pace to snap a two-day losing streak with its best day in over a year. We were just talking about its underperformance yesterday and how that's hurt a lot of hedge funds. Novavax up 24% on pace for its best day since January after the head of the European Medicines Agency said it could soon approve their COVID vaccine. So there's some of the price action for you. Pfizer, barely higher. And the Crane Shares China Internet ETF, the KWeb, is all of a sudden up 8% in two days. Goes back to the China discussion we were having a little bit earlier on. People are hunting around for opportunities there. Pinduoduo is helping that with a 14% gain right now. JD.com up nearly 5%. Pinduoduo, by the way, still down 25% in the past two weeks. Rest of the space also moving slightly higher today. Now let's get over to Christina Partsinevelis for a CNBC News update. Hi, Christina. Hi, Kelly. So here is what is happening at this hour. U.S. COVID vaccination rates are on the rise. White House COVID coordinator Jeffrey Zients says 12.5 million shots have been given in the last week. That's the fastest pace since May. Meanwhile, Reuters, though, is reporting that in Nigeria, up to one million doses of COVID vaccines have expired in the last month without being used. On the news, the latest on Omicron and the new push to get Americans vaccinated. In an interview with former FDA commissioner Dr. Scott Gottlieb, that's going to be tonight at 7 p.m. Eastern time. At a Paris airport, a suspected, a suspected killer of Saudi journalist Jamal Khashoggi has been arrested. The suspect, a former royal guard of Saudi Arabia, was named in U.S. intelligence reports as part of the 15-man team that killed Khashoggi. And CNN says it will not pay severance to fired news anchor Chris Cuomo. CNN President Jeff Zucker making that announcement to employees. Zucker also said he wished Cuomo had taken a leave of absence in May when allegations first surfaced that Cuomo helped his brother, New York Governor Andrew Cuomo, address sexual misconduct allegations. And that's the news this hour. Back over to you, Kelly. Christina, thank you very much. Still ahead, Apple, ServiceNow, and Viacom. Those are three picks from our trader in today's wild markets. The story and the trades are coming up next. Don't go anywhere. Welcome back, everybody. Look at these markets. Let's dive into some of the big movers of the day, the names to buy and maybe some of the names to ignore. We're looking across the cloud stocks, big cap tech, and the losers of the day, the media giants. So let's kick things off with software and the cloud. The sector's having a blowout day after those MongoDB earnings helping in particular. ServiceNow also jumping up more than 7% and on pace for its best day since last January. The cloud computing ETF on pace for its best day since March. Let's bring in John Fort with more of the story here. And Steve Grasso, Grasso Global CEO and a CNBC contributor with some of his favorite trades. Welcome to both of you, John. Is MongoDB some kind of catalyst here or are there more several things going on? Kelly, I think there's several things going on. Let's get some perspective first. I think this is important. I took a look at some of the tech stocks, software stocks that I track most closely that are up the most today. MongoDB up about 17 percent, but still down 10 percent for the month. Asana up 14, down 40% for the month. Wow. Affirm up 11, down 24% for the month still. Bill.com up 9% today, still down 24% for the month. And ServiceNow up 7.5%, but still down 4% for the month. All of those stocks except Affirm, which hasn't been public for the entire year to date, though, are still up more than 24% year to date. So I think what we have happening here 
in part is people shifting from, oh, valuations, we're worried about those, to, oh, maybe we overdid it. And I think investors really need to think about what are the fundamental stories in these companies, growth rates, not just on a quarter-to-quarter basis, but how important is their core technology to what's going to happen over the next three to five years, and place your bets based on that, not based on the momentum. Quick follow-up, John, before I turn to Steve. You had told us yesterday to watch for these MongoDB results. Um, Also for Coupa, what is the John Fort read-through from those, from what we heard last night? Well, I think with MongoDB, their Atlas product has just been going gangbusters and continued to do so. So you can kind of line that up in parallel with what we saw from Snowflake just a few days ago, a name that's been going strong that maybe some people thought couldn't continue to. Oh, but they did. Coupa, it really had a good quarter, but people are sort of reassessing, right? Uh, it, they, they sort of beat, but not at the level that some people would have hoped. And I would line that up with GitLab's hmm. results today. All beaten a raise, but the stock is down hmm. 10%. So there are probably some bargains to be found here. For example, if you believe in the importance of DevOps going forward, maybe you look uh, at a GitLab for example, uh, b- because you're not following what the crowd is doing. It's a name, of, you know, the Kelly, Kelly's still catching up to DevOps, John, and understanding <laughs> why that is so significant. I appreciate it. Let me turn to Steve. I know ServiceNow, Steve, is that one of your favorite names? It, it, it is. So let's just start from the top down. So John laid it out pretty, pretty well there as far as what the macro story is. People are looking for faster growing stocks. They were, they were nervous about growth with interest rates moving higher. But let's look at ServiceNow. If you look at the chart in ServiceNow, in October, the stock uh, hit, hit a near-term bottom, ran again after that, and then stopped on a dime at the same level in November. That's great for a technical entry point. It's rallied from there. It's a fast, organic-growing company. They did not have to buy growth. That's big, that's big in the growth uh, sector, Kelly. Then look at the team. Have you ever bet against Bill McDermott? I suggest you don't. If you have, I I suggest you don't do it again. This is a man that's a a great operator. He knows where he's acting. He knows the environment. This is one that I would be a buyer of. I know it's difficult to look at the price of the stock, but look at the renewal renewal rates. It's above 97%. This is a name that you probably should take a second look at. Technically, it sets up well, and I love the management team. I just love a banner that says it's on pace for its eighth positive year in the past nine. So speaking to the rise of this technology, and like you said, the importance of the management team as well. All right, John, we appreciate it. We'll let you go, John Fort, with the story Steve sticks around. As we move on to the big cap tech names, Amazon, Apple, Alphabet, Meta, Microsoft, all rallying today. The Apple's seeing the biggest gain up about 3.5%, and it's actually adding 70 points to the NASDAQ 100. Mike Santoli has more on these moves. Mike, I'm scratching my head a little bit trying to figure out if it's some kind of knee-jerk reaction to rates, but there seems to be not as clear of a connection as normal. No, the rates thing, it, really, that's a loose tether at this point in my mind. It's always been a little overplayed as a, as a direct uh, causal aspect of why tech goes up or down, especially when yields are in this zone where they're low They've come in. They've been here before. They're in a range. They're not telling us a whole lot incrementally new. Today's a FOMO day. We've swung <laughs> back to the fear of missing out from the fear of staying in harm's way. I think some of the big NASDAQ names are very familiar ways to grab on. And I think very importantly, similar to what John was saying, only Apple among the biggest drivers of this NASDAQ 100 rally are at a new high. Uh, if you look at NVIDIA, it's you know 7% off its high. Even Microsoft still 4% uh, off a high. Amazon, even more than that. So essentially, it seems smarter, maybe, 
to buy NVIDIA at 330 at this time around, as opposed to when it was at an all-time high at 330. You seem as if uh, you've pulled the uh, you pulled the slingshot back a little bit. That's the mechanics of, I think, what's going on. It's also an all-in rally today. Uh, and, it's, it, and when we get those, it does tend to benefit uh, the, uh, the NASDAQ 100. Yesterday was much more of a reopening flavor. Right. And this is just kind of, hey, we better get in because it might run without us to year end. And so if that's the case, Mike, then it seems to be you know, I think about everyone who invests based on sectors, and it's so important to them whether the financials and energy are rallying yeah. or tech. It, it, it today feels like one of those days where that distinction is important to certain fund managers, but not to the broader market. That's exactly right. This is not really an either or. This is not let's read the tea leaves of the market to see what it's handicapping about the next move uh, in growth or Fed policy. I do think we have volatility come crashing down from elevated levels. That seemed like it cleared the way for some catch up. And just on the NASDAQ, I mean, I think 60 percent of all NASDAQ stocks are down at least 20 percent. A third of them are down 50 percent from their highs. There's just people sweeping up some of the some of the wreckage here. All right, Mike, thank you. And Steve, with Apple already at new highs, why is that the name that still sticks out to you? So I think Apple played this perfectly, and I don't want to say they sandbagged it, but they got everyone ready for <laughs> supply chain headwinds. They had everyone worried that maybe the iPhone wasn't going to be selling as much as it as much as analysts expected it. So everyone underestimated it. And what'd you get with that? Apple lagged. The stock lagged. Now it's outperformed. I saw a real breakout at the 150 level. Now you see analysts actually buying into it. I think Apple could probably trade to 200, and I think that was the latest price target, and then some. Everyone always likes to bet against Apple, but everyone always buys Apple, right? They always think that the Apple's best days are behind them, not even close. It's a familiar name to people. It checks the box for both value and growth, along with every other stock that Mike had up on the screen with him. So you don't have to choose whether you want a growth environment or a value environment. A lot of those names are both. Apple is the pinnacle value and growth. All right. It's got it all. It's got it all. That's what I'm hearing uh, from Mr. Grasso. Mike, thank you, and we'll let you go. We appreciate it, Mike Santoli. Finally today, let's turn from some of the winners to the losers in the market, notably Comcast and Charter, among the worst in the S&P today. Our parent company, Comcast, near a 52-week low after some comments from its cable CEO at the UBS Investment Conference. Let's bring in Julia Borston with more on that story. Julia. Well, Kelly, the key thing here is that the company warned, Comcast CNBC's parent company, did warn that they're going to see fewer broadband net additions in the fourth quarter than analysts had been anticipating. They said for the full year, there would be 1.4 million new, I'm sorry, 1.3 million new broadband net additions. Analysts had been expecting 1.4. The key thing about this 1.3 number is it implies the addition of just 185 thousand new subscribers in the fourth quarter. That's down from as many as 461 in the first quarter, 354,000 in the second quarter, and 300,000 in the third quarter. So we're seeing a decline over the course of the year. But there are a couple of other key things to note here. It does seem like there's been a real pull forward in broadband subscribers, broadband net additions into the past two years, going back to the beginning of the pandemic. And there are three key factors at play here. First, lockdowns really benefited, really drew, drove broadband growth. Then you also have the fact that people were moving more, particularly in the first half of this year. Those moves are generally good for broadband subscriber additions. And then also you had stimulus. And that obviously is not so much of a factor anymore, but that was something that supported that broadband growth as well. So Kelly, it really does seem like a pull forward. Though I do want to note that when it come to that, came to the com- cable divisions 
earnings growth, EBITDA growth, they did project 7 to 8% growth that was higher than the 5% that analysts had been anticipating. So even though they're seeing a slowdown in the actual numbers, they are seeing better than expected bottom line results. All right. So Steve, I turn to you. You look across the, the name selling off today. What in the media space would you be scooping up right now? So I am along Viacom, and I feel I feel as if if you if you go on a long dated chart, Kelly, you could see that the stock went from $100 down to about $40. Uh, I think the original stop was about 50, cut in half immediately, just because the, there was a fund that had was forced into liquidating. That to me is not a fundamental reason why you should be a seller of the stock. And obviously, what what have we learned from the streaming business that content is king and there's a bunch of different content creators. So I think ultimately, even though it's taking Viacom a little bit longer than the rest of the space to find either A, a dance partner or real lucrative venues for them to show their streaming library, I think ultimately they will and they'll make up that ground. Now, I don't know if it's going back to 100, but it's certainly going higher than where it is now. All right, succinct. To the point, Steve, always a pleasure. Thank you so much for dancing with us across all of these sectors today. Steve Grasso, Julia, thank you as well for explaining what's been going on with those big media names. Still ahead, the CNBC Next Gen Index tracking stocks popular with young investors. We'll get a closer look at the climate-focused names coming up. But first, shares of designer brands popping today on strong guidance and record margin expansion. The CEO is with us next to talk about those results and how they are handling rising costs. Stay with us. Welcome back. Shares of designer brands, the parent company of DSW, are surging today on strong quarterly results. With this move, the stock has more than doubled so far this year. Joining us now in a first on CNBC interview is designer brand CEO Roger Rollins, along with CNBC's very own Courtney Reagan. Court? Thank you very much, Kelly, and thank you, Roger, for joining us. You obviously have had some success here in the direction of the shares after your results here today. For those that weren't able to follow along closely, what really drove the quarter here, particularly spurring those margins to much higher than what you had seen in past quarters and years? Yeah, thanks, Courtney. I think, you know, we made an investment a couple of years ago in the Camuto Group where we can design and source our own shoes. And um, narrowing our assortment, going from roughly 500 brands we would carry now to the top 50, and then filling in with uh, brands that we design and source ourselves, like Vince Camuto, Lucky, Jessica Simpson, Jennifer Lopez. Um, you know, the consumer has responded in a big way, and it's, it's drove our top line and, and ultimately bottom line, too. And so having some control over some of those brands, I imagine, is particularly useful right now when we're talking about these global supply chain disruptions. Generally, what is your inventory situation like? Are you able to get the amount of product that you need when you need it right now to serve the customer demand? Yeah, you know, Courtney, for us, that's been a big win because uh, having the ability to, to get your own goods is a big deal for us. We actually ended uh, Q2 with inventories down 19 to 2019. And uh, we are now heading into fourth quarter. We entered with inventories flat. And that's happened because we're able to, to leverage our own infrastructure with the goods we make, but also because we've invested in these top 50 brands. And uh, by making those investments, we're more relevant to those brands and they're getting us good. So really proud of the progress we've made with inventory. 
Pricing is always important when we're talking about items that can be bought at other retailers. Certainly you do have some exclusives at your stores, but it's always been sort of a hallmark for DSW. Many of us probably recognize the pricing tags that give you the comparable pricing. In general, how is pricing right now, particularly as you're dealing with all of these influx levers of inflation? You know, what we're seeing is pricing, it's three to 5% is what we're seeing as, as price movement. Um, what we've been doing to really offset that is finding ways to, to uh, be more efficient in how we operate our business. And uh, uh, that, that's really helped us leverage so that while we might be seeing some cost increases, we're able to, to offset that with leverage across the entire expense structure of the business. We spoke um, after, shortly after you purchased the Vince Camuto brand. I know you brought it up here earlier in the interview. Does this look like a playbook that you're going to repeat? Are you looking at other brands to acquire? <laughs> Great question. Uh, there are lots of opportunities out there that, you know, we're looking for unique and different ways to, to grow. As a retailer, a brand of brands, we have to have differentiated products. So, uh, doing that through Vince, Lucky or Jessica or JLo or things we're doing. Uh, we've entered into a really unique partnership with the Wolverine team with the Hush Puppies brand where that'll be exclusive in DSW. Uh, we're looking for partnerships like that. And, and again, finding uh, partners in our industry that are looking for ways to grow. And with with our business with 525 points of distribution in the U.S. and a, and a billion dollar digital experience, those two things combined are attractive to these top 50 brands in the country. Very quickly here, I have to let you go, but uh, are people buying heels again? Or are we just gonna wear slippers and UGG-like boots <laughs> for the rest of our time? You know, Courtney, that was probably the biggest thing for us in this quarter was we've invested heavily in athletic and kids and we're seeing that continue to grow at 50% or more. But the fact that the dress category has come back for us as well as the seasonal category, you know, that's our bread and butter. And, and that's really what has driven the performance you've seen today is being able to tell people that we're seeing mm -hmm. that come back to life. That is a big, big win for us. Oh, good. That makes me feel better, too, about the situation that we're all in. Roger Rollins, CEO of Designer Brands, which, of course, is the parent company of DSW, among other banners. Thank you very much for joining us. Kelly, back over to you. All right. Thank you both. We really appreciate it. Still ahead, the EV names are staging a big rally today. Lordstown up more than 9%. Fisker, Nikola, Tesla, ChargePoint also growing. ChargePoint results after, uh, report results, I should say, after the bell today. And the CEO will join us right here on the exchange tomorrow to discuss those numbers. Looking forward to that. Don't miss it. We're back after a quick break. Welcome back, everybody. We have some news out of Washington. Let's get down to Elon Moy for the details. Elon? Well, Kelly, lawmakers are coalescing around a plan to raise the debt limit by $2 trillion. That's according to a source, and that would be long enough to last through the midterms. Now, both Republicans and Democrats would need to get on board with this plan, but it would create a fast-track process that would allow Democrats in the Senate to raise the debt limit with just a simple majority vote, 51 votes. Now, this would be a one-shot deal. The authority to do this would expire um, in January so that Democrats would not be able to use this repeatedly. But again, lawmakers on both sides of the aisle are now considering a plan to raise the debt limit by $2 trillion. That would get them through the midterms and end some of the political brinksmanship we've seen over the past few months. Guys. 
All right. Stocks, I mean, they're not down on it. They're probably, if anything, uh, drifting a little bit higher. Elon, thank you very much. We appreciate it. Elon Moyne in Washington. Up next, this energy name has nearly doubled in the past year as ESG investing gains popularity. We will reveal it and get a check on the latest green trends as companies work towards net zero right after this. Welcome back. The stocks in the CNBC Next Generation 50, an index tracking names popular with millennials and Gen Z, have been outperforming the S&P this year, thanks in part to some big gains in green stocks. Pippa Stevens is here with a look at those names and the outsized moves they've been making. Pippa? Hey, Kelly. Well, climate is top of mind for younger consumers. 81% of millennials and 76% of Gen Z say that the U.S. should prioritize alternative energy development, according to Pew Research Center. And so CNBC's Next Generation 50 Index includes names across the energy transition. One area is nuclear power, and uranium named Cameco Corporation is in the index. The Canadian-based company is one of the largest players in the space. And while the stock has come under pressure over the last month, shares are still up 70% for the year amid optimism around nuclear. Solar company Enphase Energy, another name in the index. They make specialized inverters, which are often called the brains of a solar energy system. The company's also expanded into power storage and electric vehicle charging. It's currently the only pure play solar name in the S&P 500, and shares are up nearly 30% this year, despite a 16% decline for the Invesco Solar Fund. Hydrogen is an area getting a lot of interest as well, and fuel cell company Plug Power is in CNBC's new index. The area has been a speculative one for years, but experts say that with new attention and a lot of new capital focused on decarbonization, green hydrogen will play a role. And you can't have a next-gen index without including electric vehicles. Tesla, Fisker, and Lucid are all in the index, as is ChargePoint. Kelly? Was there any consideration given to valuation here, or was it simply sort of story stocks stocks in the sense of these companies are building blocks that sort of younger generations, and I'm flattered that millennials are even included here, um, you know, think we should be watching. Do you you know what I'm saying? Because, I mean, so many of them have valuations that are difficult to justify, mm-hmm. but this, it seems to be more an index of companies to watch as opposed to, I don't know, you know what I'm trying to well, say? Well, the index overall is 50 companies and it includes big players like Amazon, Apple, you know, Tesla, companies that really have stood out in their space and that are more, you know, growth proven names. And then alternatively, there's also these newer names like an Enphase, like a Plug Power. Plug Power is hardly new, but <laughs> a lot of new attention recently after going nowhere for a long period of time. So the index seeks to capture kind of both areas of the growth spectrum and companies that are already established and the up-and-comers. And so these kind of newer solar companies, newer EV companies, definitely play into that. You know, there will be winners, there will be losers. Valuation is a concern. But these are the names that investors say that are the top of the line within each space. Okay, got it. Pippa, thank you very much. We appreciate it. Pippa Stevens, while it's a hot investing trend, there are still questions about the efficacy of ESG. What does its future look like? Our next guest is out with an ESG Trends to Watch report for 2022. Joining me now, is Linda Ealingly. She's MSCI's Managing Director and Global Head of ESG and Climate Research. Linda, welcome. There's a lot of great stuff in here um, to watch. Let's start with the Amazon effect. What do you guys mean by that? Well, I think that what has been in the news has been supply chains and the great deal of interdependence among companies. And that's true for carbon emissions as well, because, you know, as companies make net zero commitments, one of the things they're coming up against is that 
they have to know and account for the emissions that are coming from their suppliers. Mm -hmm. um, you know, for a lot of industries, most of their emissions are actually coming from their value chain. That means um, from the, the suppliers they buy from, as well as from their products and use after it's left the factory B. And so when we say that the Amazon effect, it's really about the fact that a lot of companies are realizing that they do actually have some common suppliers. So an Amazon, for example, or a Microsoft, you know, if they were to actually go net zero, it would actually have this trickle down effect on these companies in terms of their ability to decarbonize. But what's, what you're saying here is really important. And one of the things to keep in mind is as people report more emissions, including scope three emissions, really kind of the broadest way of looking at it, retailers, for instance, could see massive divestment pressure. You're talking about Amazon. You're actually saying not only is their supply chain very um, carbon intensive, but also that a lot of it is data center that then you get names like Alphabet in the mix as well. So could those companies, which are in every ESG index on the planet, basically actually come under ESG divestment pressure because of their emissions? Well, not necessarily divestment, but what we are saying is that with an Amazon or with uh, an Alphabet or any of these companies, they, are, they themselves have to have to meet their net zero goals. And that means that they're going to be looking at their suppliers and putting pressure on them because they can't actually meet their net zero um, goals without putting pressure on their own suppliers. So what you're getting is going to be this daisy chain of, um, of engagement, if you will, kind of B2B engagement. And so, you know, these um, the, the customers of a lot of these companies are going to be wanting not just that their uh, that their that their products are delivered with lower prices on faster turnaround time, but also with much lower emissions. So on the emissions point, let's also talk about the scrutiny that we're seeing for privately held companies. You know, there's obvious pressure on the publicly traded names. They have to put out reports. They have to comply with whatever the SEC rulings are going to be here. What about in the private space? Well, I, you know, as you know, public companies have been under scrutiny for some time, and so they have been decarbonizing, they've been shedding fossil fuel intensive assets, but emissions are still going up. So where are these assets, right? And so a lot of people are asking whether or not they are actually being privately held and that they are being invested in by private equity. Um, uh, firms. Um, and, and the truth is that we look and we don't really know and that, that this is actually a huge black hole in a lot of portfolios because today, you know, with global pension um, asset allocations um, being more than a quarter in private assets, you know, you have to look at the private equity companies to see what are actually in their holdings. And when we when we looked on um, the private equity firms, the largest ones are actually disclosing um, their carbon emissions only from their operations and not from their portfolio companies. Right. So the truth is, no one really knows how carbon intensive um, their portfolio companies are. And our outlook is that they're going to be coming under the same kind of scrutiny. I think whether it's from regulations, for investors, there's going to be much more of a level playing field um, between private companies and public companies when it comes to having to disclose sure. what their emissions footprints look like. Especially with the pressure coming, like you said, from pensions that may be holding these private equity instruments. As you say, Carlyle Group, TPG, they've started to monitor their emissions. EQT, you say, not only represents them uh, or, is, or is sort of the only one with a meaningful representation now, although that trend is likely to continue. Linda, thank you so much. A whole lot more to get to here. Again, we recommend everyone take a look as this grows in importance. Thank you for joining me today. Thank you. Linda Ealing Lee with MSCI. And that does it for The Exchange today. You've been listening to The Exchange. Make sure you're subscribed to get each episode every day, same time, same place. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. 
That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx.